0: Thanks for being here. My name is Tyler. I am uh, Tyler Thompson. I'm a pastor of primarily worship in small groups, uh, or what we call redemption communities. Uh, love to preach when there's opportunity for that. So thankful to be able to share this morning. I just have one or two announcements before we get into the message. Uh, first off, uh, in the next uh, several weeks, we're starting our Advent series, and during Advent time, just so that you're aware, we don't have a lot of the announcements during that time, so you'll wanna track with us online or through uh, various means uh, in the lobby that we we connect with. Uh, A few of you have asked actually about the building campaign, the uh, building initiative that we have for a sacred space to let you know that the the packets for that are at the Connect desk, and you can pick one of those up. And some have asked, uh, is there a place to pledge and not to give yet, and there is a difference there between pledging and giving, and so I just wanna make you aware of a couple of things. In the sacred space packet, there's a little uh, envelope like this. You can go to the link here, and that will be how you give currently. If you'd like to pledge currently, you can do that at the uh, QR code in in the seats in front of you. And so if you're looking for a place to pledge, you do it here. If you're looking for a place to give, you do it here. Hope that helps with with some of the confusion that was going on there. Uh, So we're excited to wrap up today a a series that we've had going 22 weeks. Uh, Actually, this is called the the We Want a King series. And um, I was able to start this series on July 2nd with a sermon called We Want a King. And so I get to uh, close this, ser- this series today with a-, a sermon called The King We Need. And so I'm thankful for that. I was talking with, Ke- uh, with Steve Wheeler about that this week, and he asked me if I was going to put a bow on the series. And I said, Steve, I'm going to put two bows on the series, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. <laughs> That's a good dad joke. That's a good dad joke, right? Yeah. So I figure, you know, I've got the beard now, i got to start telling je- dad jokes. Um, but this is about the divided kingdom and what happens in 1 Kings 12, uh, what's going on with Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and we get a divided kingdom. So I want to catch us up just real quickly about what's happening. So we have an image here to show first. Uh, in the passage last week in 1 Kings 11, uh, there was uh, an, an image given, a metaphor given, of the kingdom being divided, and a, a cloak, uh, a prophet comes and actually tears a cloak up into 12 pieces, and that's a symbol that the kingdom now would not be united, the 12 tribes would now not be united, but would be uh, torn up into twelve, and that there was going to be a, div- a division between uh, ten of them in the north and two of them in the south. And so, with with this um, this image, it's actually not the first time that this kind of image is is used in the scripture. There was actually in Judges in Judges 19. Um, there's actually the story of a, um, uh, a a concubine that is that is actually torn up into twelve pieces. It's very 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 uh, brutal. Um, that that's also a symbol of this this um, this nation being divided, this people being divided. Uh, if you haven't read Judges, the book of Judges, man, there's crazy stuff in there. It's 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 really the reason I mention it is this. It's 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 really no wonder that the Bible is banned in many countries across the world. It's because it's a dangerous book. It, re- it really is, and um, there are a lot of things in here that we just don't realize are there. Uh, but this imagery of the cloak is used to be able to say that the kingdom is going to be divided. Um, and it's going to be divided in a, in a way from the north and the south. And so that next image that we have there that's helpful with this is that we have, we'll have a northern kingdom, as you can see, and the northern kingdom of Israel will be uh, ruled by Jeroboam, and the, the southern kingdom of Judah is going to be ruled uh, by Rehoboam. And so just so you know a little bit also about who, the, who those two people are, uh, what Frank would call wiseless ratfinks. Um, These two guys are actually uh, (laughs) vying for the the kingdom after Solomon is giving up his throne after Solomon's passed away. Uh, So Rehoboam is Solomon's son, and Jeroboam is the son of Solomon's servant, uh, but has actually gained a lot of respect in the kingdom. And so that's where we pick up our passage today we see that Solomon actually had wanted to try to kill Jeroboam because of the prophecy about Jeroboam taking ten of the the parts of the kingdom. And so Solomon's actually looking to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam has fleed. Let's read this in chapter 12. Uh, Ben didn't read uh, the whole chapter, so we'll start in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So again, Jeroboam has fled because Solomon uh, has tried to kill Jeroboam. Uh, The things that we do to try to hold on to our power, right? Even Solomon at this point is trying to hold on to power. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days and then come to me again. So the people went away. So a couple of things that I'll just note about that right away. So the people are trying to influence Jeroboam for the kind of ruler that he will be. And I just want to point out to you the longing that the people have for a yoke that is easy. That the people would like for them, their, their burden, the thing that they're carrying, to be an easy yoke, a light burden. Now, when you hear those words, what's coming to mind? What's coming to mind is the Savior, Jesus, who will say, what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how the Messiah is writing this text from the very beginning that what we want really is a easy yoke and a light burden. And so the people are reaching out to Jeroboam for this. Of course, we know that Jeroboam won't be able to provide this for them in the way that they're hoping for. But our hearts long for a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And praise God that Jesus comes as one who offers that to us. Amen? And so the people are, are trying to request of, Jeroboam, of, of Rehoboam, I'm sorry, of Rehoboam, uh, of, of Jeroboam, I'm sorry, that, yeah, the booms get messed up, that's why I'm saying two, bo, two bows uh, of Jeroboam, they're requesting of Jeroboam that he would be able to restore this light yoke, and Jeroboam says, go away for three days and then come back to me, interesting, the, the three days, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. Okay, good start. You're trying to make a decision, and you're going to take some counsel with the elders. This is a good start. Who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive. Any of you folks that are looking to make a decision, try to find some old men in your life that can give you some wisdom. It's a a help, and especially elders and leaders that are uh, participating with the church. Uh, So he said, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to the people this day and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. And so I'll notice just there as well, in addition to the longing for someone who would make the yoke easy and the burden light, they're also saying, uh, the, the elders are now saying, why don't you be a leader that is a servant of the people? This is also good advice, that uh, that a leader would be someone who would serve the people rather to be than being served. Now, who does that sound like? Also, this sounds like Jesus. I know I'm going to talk about Jesus a lot today. Hope that's all right. This sounds like Jesus, that Jesus would be the one who would come as a king that would. Camp, and Jesus says this, right? So, whenever Jesus is quoting or speaking, and we have it recorded in the Gospels there are so many times that this is referring back to Old Testament themes and that people would have heard that of, uh, in that way. And so Jesus says, I have come to be, uh, not to be served, but to serve. Again, we're pointing ahead here to this Messiah who would come and would serve and lead the people in the way that uh, we need to be led and, uh, as a king. And so uh, that's, so the, the advice from the elders are actually, is actually good advice. But, verse 8, he abandoned the counsel that the old uh, old men gave him, uh uh-oh, and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So we see a problem right away. Rather than take the advice and the good counsel of the elders, of the wise men of the the community, uh, he's going to take the advice of his homies that he grew up with. His boys, his childhood friends. And so any of you that are looking to make a decision in this life, just, just stay away from your, your, your boys for a little while. Just stay away from the people that, that maybe uh, are going to influence you in a way that might not help you. And rather, seek some counsel from people. There's a huge emphasis here on who do you take your counsel from. And, we, and it's not to say that young people, uh, we, we see other, way, other places in scripture that we're not to look down on people uh, because they're young. It's not that young people can't be wise, it's just that we're more likely to find wisdom with those who have been around for a time. And so the rejection of the elders' uh, wisdom and instead taking counsel with the young men, two things about the young men, one, they were the men that had grown up with him, so there's tradition and history and experience there. And we tend to want to go with counsel that we, uh, that are, is safe for us, familiar for us, that have been around, but it's not always the best place to find our counsel. And second, uh, those who stood before him. In other words, the people who were immediately present uh, around us. Um, going on to verse 9, And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus sh- shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. That's like the greatest trash talk in the Bible right there. My <laughs> little finger is thicker than your father, my father's thighs. Now, many scholars actually think that he's not talking just about his little finger there. We'll leave it at that because this is a church service. Uh, But the, the trash talk here is that I'm stronger even than my father is. All the talk about thighs in the Bible as well. It's a little awkward. It's uncomfortable. Verse 11, and now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So we'll hold on to the scorpions for just a minute. But this trash talk is incredible from the son, uh, from uh, the son who is going to make the, uh, th- the time difficult for the people. So Rehoboam, who has gotten bad counsel, uh, good counsel from the elders and now has turned to the younger people, Uh, is getting bad counsel from the younger folks. I saw this this week, it's this Desiring God post, and I wanted just to put it in front of your eyes because it so encapsulates what's happening here with Rehoboam. So, would you have this slide? Yeah, how to ruin your life in your 20s, right? Number one, do whatever you want. Number two, live beyond your means. Number three, feed an addiction. Number four, run with fools. Number five, believe your life is about you. Number six, live for immediate gratification. And number seven, avoid accountability. These are seven good ways to ruin your life in your 20s. Now, the, good, the, uh, the, the important thing for us to know here is that this kind of thinking won't just ruin your life in your 20s, it'll also ruin your life in your 30s and your 40s and beyond. And so if you're not 20 years old today and you're thinking, whew, I made it, just know that this can be trouble for us as well. I heard that 30 is the new 20, right? And I'm, and I'm in my 40s, uh, and Rehoboam was 41, uh, likely when he, he came to power, and so it, uh, it certainly affects people outside of their 20s as well. So we have to watch out for us. We are oftentimes more inclined to take uh, advice from people who are going to tell us what we think, uh, what we want to hear. So if you've been in this situation before and you're trying to make a decision, you naturally are going to go to a person and ask them for counsel that you think that they're going to give you the answer that you want. Right? Am I the only one that does that? we tend to go and ask the very people that we think that will get the answer that we want from. And so, oh, I sought a lot of counsel. I asked like five or six people and they all told me that I have to do this. Well, we know that we're asking the people that are gonna give us the answer that we want. Uh, The notorious Brennan Smith, who used to be uh, on our staff, uh, he said this, young people today are often looking for affirmation rather than advice or counsel. And he's a young person, so he's allowed to say that that we oftentimes are looking for affirmation of what we're hoping for rather than counsel itself. Proverbs 13 says it this way, (coughs) whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a good thing for us to remember. So Rehoboam, uh, who is uh, going to be leading the Southern Kingdom with two tribes and is having 10 tribes taken away, Rehoboam has sought counsel from the elders, has rejected the good counsel, and instead gone with the counsel of his young friends that have given him the answer that he wants. In other words, we are oftentimes drawn towards what we want to hear, and instead, God is going to give us what we need. Now, it's amazing how when I prep for for sermons like this, that God tends to teach me the, the lesson of the message during the week. And that, this this week was no exception. So many times this week that I caught myself thinking, okay, this is what I want, but what is it that God knows that I need? And that God instead will oftentimes uh, provide us with what we need rather than what we want. And we may be disappointed at that, but he knows better for us than we do. Verse 12, so Jeroboam... now. <laughs> again, so we don't, don't get mixed up because I already did it at least three times in this sermon. Um, Jeroboam is going to be ruling the, the northern kingdom. He is the son of Solomon's servant. So Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Jeroboam is now uh, going to be ruling the northern kingdom. So Jeroboam, verse 12, and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day. As the king said, come to me again the third day. Interesting again that there's three days of counsel. Come back on the third day and I'll give you the answer. Taking some time for decisions, by the way, is a good idea in and of itself. Uh, So there's some wisdom here, but Rehoboam wasn't actually trying to be wise. He was more so just putting the people off until he could consolidate his power and get his way. So Jeroboam's coming back. The king answered the people harshly in verse 13, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So I have to just put into your mind what this looks like, a scorpion, because you need to know exactly what it is that they are facing here. I think we have an image of a scorpion somewhere. Yes, Okay. They're not, he's not going to discipline with whips any longer, <laughs> hooray, but he's going to discipline now with scorpions, boom. <laughs> Anybody ever been uh, stung by a scorpion? A scorpion? Not fun, right? Not fun at all. <laughs> the discipline here is gonna be happening with scorpions. In other words, the yoke is going to be added to because the discipline is going to be making, uh, taking place with the scorpions. So the people are actually being threatened here. Uh, what is happening is that there is an, in, an intention by Rehoboam of consolidating his power being more of an authoritarian and if these people don't know what's good for them, I will show them. Uh, being an authoritarian in leadership is never a good thing as well. This is why in, this, in the New Testament we'll read a ton about uh, if we are in leadership, we are not to lord our leadership over people. And so if that's something that is happening in leadership, <coughs> the scriptures gives us a different view of what good leadership is. Again, we're presenting a contrast here between Rehoboam and what we're gonna see in the coming Messiah, Jesus. Verse 15, so the king did not listen to the people for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Abijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nabat. Now just note here, before we get too upset with Jeroboam and Rehoboam for what's going on with Israel, this verse 15 shows us the sovereignty of God, that the king didn't listen because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the word that the Lord had spoken. In other words, when God's word goes out, it doesn't return void, and what he says is going to happen. God had said in in chapter 11 of of 1 Kings that there would be a divided nation, and that the the tribes would follow Jeroboam instead of Rehoboam. God is willing this to take place. Now, how does that work? Jeroboam and Rehoboam are making decisions, and so are God. It's a mystery, but I'll tell you this. It's not a surprise to God that these things happen. We had an event at our house yesterday uh, where Dallas actually, we thought maybe he broke his elbow. Wasn't a fun Saturday for us, uh, which is a a theme for us. Anytime uh, before I preach on a Sunday, Saturdays tend to go weird. Um, Imagine that. Uh, but, but Dallas, we thought he broke his elbow, and so we went to the ER and all of that. And thankfully, it's, it's a sprain and, and not a, and not a, a break. Um, but on the drive back, I was talking with my daughters just about how this kind of thing is not a surprise to God, that God knows ahead of time what we're going to go through. And in the case like this, he is, he is actually fulfilling his word through the bad decisions that have been made by Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Think about that just for a moment. It doesn't mean you should go make bad decisions, by the way. It just means that God can work even through these things. It's the classic Genesis 50 20, which says, What you, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That even the things that we do that are meant for evil, God can turn into good. Verse 16, let's keep going. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? This is the section that Ben had read for us. We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adarim, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So there's a, a mass exodus of the people heading, heading out of where they had been um, oppressed. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when Israel heard the, that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. (coughs) Fascinating here that uh, the taskmaster, the one who had been oppressing is now stoned by the people and Rehoboam saying, I'm gonna be even more of a taskmaster. One of the things that happens when we're just gripped by the need for power is that we're willing to do whatever it takes to, to, uh, to keep that power. But there's no trust there because even the one who had been oppressing on behalf of the king is now stoned for doing the job that the king had asked him to do. And there's an interesting note to us here, is that if we are constantly looking over our shoulders for how we can obtain our power or keep our power, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. And it can only lead to division for us. Verse 21, when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, He assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So you get what's going on here? They're saying, let's take back the kingdom. And we're going to get as many warriors as we can to do it by force, by power, by might. But the word of God came to Shemaiah. Important note, but the word of God came to Shemaiah. In the, in the Old Testament, there are kind of three things, uh, three groups of people that, that God is working through pretty consistently. We have kings, we have prophets, and we have priests. And one of the good news about uh, this story is that even though the kings are both bad here, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you can argue about which one's worse, worse, but neither of them are following the will of the Lord. Though the kings are both bad here and making bad decisions, we have still God speaking through the prophets. And don't worry, we'll find an example of a bad prophet coming up as well. But then we'll eventually get to Elijah and Elisha and all of that in, in chapters 13 and going on. And we're going to cut it off there because we've got to talk about this Savior who has come. But we have God still speaking through his prophets. And the word of the Lord here comes to Shemaiah. And Shemaiah says something very wise. Verse 23, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. In other words, though you might want to, exact revenge and try to take back the kingdom by force know that I'm still in control and it's not something to fight your relatives over this is really important as you go into Thanksgiving week don't fight with your relatives <laughs> this is from the Shemiah the word of the Lord comes through Shemiah don't fight your relatives on Thanksgiving week the God instead intends for us to rest in his sovereignty and in, instead, in, intends for us to trust that he is bringing about his will, even though we will want to take it with our own hands. This is good, uh, this is good wisdom for us to recall. And so, they listened to the word of the Lord. Imagine that. They, listen, little, they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. This is the only uh, real obedience that we see in this passage that they say, don't take up arms against your relatives, this is from me, and they listen to the word of the Lord, and thus the two kingdoms settle. Important for us to understand that our wants will always be in conflict with our needs until we receive this good news of Jesus Christ for our lives. Let's consider that just one more time. I can't stop wanting the kingdom of this world until I receive the king of another world. The things that we will find in Christ are beyond the longings and the desires that we have for this world. And eventually he will be king as well of the new world that he will make. One day, the new Jerusalem, one day, the new kingdom that he will establish, establish his will on earth as it is in heaven. And there's good news that that is coming. Verse 25, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go out up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the, the obedience only lasts for a couple of moments because Jeroboam, just like Rehoboam, is interested in his power. And so Jeroboam is, is concerned that the people's hearts will turn back to God and will intend then to follow Rehoboam. So the king, in verse 28, so the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Uh-oh. Just when we think there's some obedience happening, we have two calves calves of gold and this references and, and, and actually harkens us back to other times when idols have been brought in and he said to the people you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough behold your gods O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt the temptation for the idols is always to attribute to the idol what it is that God has done And we need to be careful for that in our own lives as well, that as we make our own idols in this world, there are a few things that we are doing. One is that we are making a tame version of a God so that we don't have to obey it. When I I fashion an idol in my own life, it's something that I think I can control, that responds to me, that is in my own image that doesn't require of me obedience, that allows me to have my wants, the things that I desire and the things that I long for in this world. At least we think that they do. But with these two calves, there's now attributed that this, these are the calves, the gods that brought you out of Egypt. The great story of the Exodus that now has been made a mockery of by these calves. And he set one up in Bethel, 29, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed (coughs) priests from among all the people (coughs) who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day, on the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. As is typically, typically the case when the devil tends to distract us from the worship of God, the devil invites us to a poor imitation of what God is and who God is and what God has done. And so these calves become a, a ripoff of who Yahweh actually is in all the glory. It's a poor imitation and substitute. These are the calves that brought you out of Egypt. These are the calves that the priests will serve. And he sets up his own priests for this. And he has a poor imitation of what Yahweh actually is and does. These are the feasts that these, these gods will provide for you. A poor imitation though, that will not make do and that Yahweh becomes angry regarding. Just so you know, interesting enough, as Jeroboam is setting up these false gods and replacing the priests with people that were not Levites, recall that God's people, the Levites, the tribe of Levi were intended to always be God's priests. And so he's setting up priesthood that is not the people of Levi. And thus, actually, the priests uh, that are in Sene- Second Chronicles tells us—I won't have you read it just for sake of time—but Second Chronicles eleven tells us what happens with those priests. It says that the priests that were serving the Lord still faithfully actually migrate south to be in a place where that where they can actually safely still follow the Lord, which is a fascinating thing that happens. And so, from that day, there's this division again from north and south where the north has set up two calves, two golden calves, and the south aren't doing much better, but God is continuing to talk through his prophets and through priests so that God's will can continue to go forward, even in the midst of this divided kingdom. A couple of notes for us there is this. When we see the world in front of us as a divided kingdom, where God's people are scattered throughout the territory, we can rest assured that God is still sovereign and that his word is still bringing forward the things that he intends to do. And we'll see that in just a moment here as well. Secondly, we want to remain obedient to God in the midst of the scattered people of God. So when James writes in the New Testament that he is writing to the diaspora, the scattered believers, He is writing to those that are still being obedient to God in the various places that they have been. But even more so, and we mentioned a moment ago that the word of God is bringing this about. It's important for us to note that the coming Messiah would be the one that would unite the kingdoms once again, that the north and the south would become one again in the new covenant that Jesus brings. And so the talk that Jesus makes about a new covenant is actually foreshadowed in the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and other places in the Old Testament that give us us notice that this Messiah is coming. I'll read for you just what is said in Jeremiah 50, verses 4 through 5. It says this, In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel— and the people of Judah shall come together. Now, oftentimes when we're reading this, this kind of a verse, we just blow right over this idea of the divided kingdom. And I've often done this in reading this verse as well. I thought to myself, well, yeah, the people of Israel and the people of Judah, like, what's the difference? But what is being said here is that God will himself unite the kingdom again. Those who were not able to unite the kingdom previously, Jesus will be able to unite this kingdom together. So the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come. What's making them weep? The idea that they would be united again. Remember, these are relatives, households that are, that are split apart over this. Relatives that are, that are split apart, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask The way to Zion, with faces turned turned towards it, saying, "Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten." In other words, this Jesus is the one who will and the only one who will be able to unite the people of God in this eternal covenant that we will have with Him for all eternity. That Jesus will come as one who who unites the people of Israel and the people of Judah. We have to be careful about turning every character in the Old Testament into someone who is a foreshadowing of Christ. Here, we have two people that are just poor kings for the people in Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But what we have is that in spite of their bad decisions, we find that God will bring out of this people a Messiah who will be able to unite the people of Israel. And even beyond that, that he will make one of Jew and Gentile. That he will make one of slave and free. He will make one of men and women. That rather than there being these divisions, that he will break down that dividing wall and will provide for his people a unity that they can walk in for all eternity. This is a beautiful thing that Jesus has done. So where does that leave us? It leaves us a people that have the, the advantage of being able to look back on what we've seen in the person of Jesus Christ. So in, for, in 1 Kings 12, they don't have this advantage that we have. As Tyler James said this week, he said the people that we're reading about, uh, uh, the story that we're reading about in Matthew 1 is the Old Testament people would have killed to have known what is written in Matthew chapter 1. And so I'll just point out, we'll save Matthew 1 and add for Advent series starting next week, but I'll point this out that in Matthew chapter one, verse six and seven, Rehoboam is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, which is just a fascinating tribute to a couple of things. One, that God is able to bring good even out of what we see as intentional evil, that even the intentional evil, God's able to bring good out of that too, that he is sovereign and that the king of the world, Jesus Christ will come out of this lineage of Rehoboam. And three, that this Bible could not have been written by human hands with all of the ways that that the the narrative that God is weaving throughout history is put together in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That in Matthew chapter 1, we would see that Rehoboam is in Jesus' genealogy. That God is able still to provide this king that we need beyond what we actually think we want. And so a few things for us just in application as we wrap up. One is this, that as we understand our wants sometimes take us further away from obedience of God, we want to focus in on this king that we need who is able to unite his people. And so we want to live as a people who are united in our King Jesus. We want to live as a people who are focusing on obedience to that king We want to live as a people who are putting aside our preferences and our desires and our wants so that we focus on this obedience to God. There's an amazing thing that happens to us when we do that. Our wants can actually change. Have you experienced this in your life? That the things that we want and long for and yearn for can actually change by the power of the Spirit of God. That I find myself, by his power and his grace and mercy in my life, no longer desiring many of the things that I ran after pri- previously to the relationship with Christ. But instead, find that my desires have now been shifted. That God's yeah. love has changed my focus so that there we want good things again. This is an amazing thing that happens for us in Christ. And though we'll never get this perfectly, we can rest assured that God in the midst of our failures and our brokenness and our poor choices and our bad desires, that God can still bring good out of those things because of this King Jesus that is the King that we need. Amen? Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, We're going to go and take communion together. And the reason is we do this each week because it's a reminder to us that God has provided in Jesus Christ the ultimate sacrifice for our sin that though we have these desires and these needs that we run after, that God provides this for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we'll take, there are stations at the front um, that you may come forward down the the center aisle. Uh, We'll go row by row as you come, and people that will serve communion. And if you're serving communion today, we'd invite you to come forward and do that. And uh, we'll pray for these elements. When we take communion, we take a Piece of bread and a piece and a a cup of juice, and that's to symbolize the body that God gave to us, that Jesus gave to us, the blood that He shed for us in the atonement of our sin. And so we'll pray that God would bless this time of response. God, we're so thankful as we wrap up this series on We Want a King. We're thankful, Lord, that as we've traced the life and the reign of Saul and Solomon and David and now we've seen the divided kingdom with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. We're thankful, Lord, that even though we continue to fall and we continue to fail, that you have offered for us this way of salvation, that we might, Lord, confess our need of you and confess our brokenness and our, and our sins so that, Lord, in receiving you, you might apply the blood of Christ to our need. And so, God, we praise you that you are the king that we need We desire as a people, Lord, that we would walk in obedience to you, that Lord, you are the the savior of the world who came as one who lightened our burden and made our yoke easy, who came as one who served us rather than to be served. And so God, in doing this, we praise you in response. And we take this communion as a way of saying, God, that we believe that you are this one And we want to continue to walk in obedience with you for all eternity. God, I pray that you grant us unity, that you grant us peace, that you would grant us the ability to obey you and follow you. And as we respond in worship, may you be glorified, our one true eternal king. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: You're yeah. yeah. you didn't want heaven without us so jesus the veil tore before you you silenced the over us as we make our way
0: out from this space from Romans 15 as a prayer over your week may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ amen thank you for being here go in peace go live all of life all for Jesus we'll see you next week